Good morning. That's our get people in seats, in the seats kind of song. We used to do that how long, two years ago or three? Yeah, more than that. Before pandemic. Yeah. BP, right? Yeah. Yes. B, or BC before COVID. BC works. Yeah, but that gets confused with before Christ. So I think BP, I think your, your first instincts were right. Yeah, British Petroleum. British Petroleum. Yeah. Before gas. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Thanks oh, for being here today. Thanks for joining us online. I'm Pastor Brian. This is Pastor Joe. What a great day to be at church, right? Have a seat for a moment. Have a seat. We got a couple of announcements to get through. Um, what do we got there, Jack? Craft and gather. Diamond doubts. Now, I, I was told a couple of things. One, I need to make sure it's actually Sharon who's doing this. So if you have questions about that, come talk to Sharon afterwards. This is what it is. I don't think you can see it. Let's see. Maybe you can get on the communion one. See, that's what it is. Oh, diamond dots. I thought he said dine and dash. Dine and dash. Okay. It looks like that. Okay, and I'm going to put this out so you can see it afterwards. It looks super hard, but is it that hard? No. No, it's not that hard. Let me see but, it. And you're not, nothing this hard. Nothing this hard. Oh, I'm not doing it. But this is a sense of what it is. Anyways, that's going to come out um, April 30th. We're going to do that. And uh, it's going to be a great time. If you're online and you obviously can't come talk to Sharon afterwards, message the church and we'll get you some information, maybe get you uh, Sharon's info. Yes? Two to four, um, April 7th. It says 7 p.m., but that's not, no, no, it doesn't say at all. Uh, but, so it's April 30th. What is that? That next Saturday? Wow. Next Saturday. Um, two to four here at the church. If you have questions, um, talk to Sharon. If you're online, uh, we can get you that information. Okay, next one. Coloring group, April 25th at 7th. That's tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Yeah. And I was, I was, it was requested of me to take a photo of it so that you guys can have a sense of what it is. And... Um, so people have a sense of what it is, but, you know, and, and maybe she, Kathy's filled with, a, with having two groups there. One is the chatty group, <laughs> who just wants to talk, and another one who's serious about getting in the lines, you know. Either way, have fun, um, invite your friends to it. This is a, this is a great one for, for anyone in the community to enjoy. All right, next. All ages. All ages, yes. Yes, you're, you're, you're a three-year-old could enjoy this. Next. That's it? That's literally it? Whew. Feels like there's more things. Barry has something. Oh, men's breakfast. Men's breakfast. Men's breakfast is next Saturday. Coffee. Men's coffee. April 30th. See, I thought there was one more. Oh, it wasn't in the, uh, in the announcement section. That's what it is. Men's coffee, this here. It's just a time to hang out with guys, have a good time, talk about, about God, life, and, uh, you know, we, we need that. We need that. So um, it's here at the church. Um, I believe with that, though, um, we, we would like to hear input from men. Uh, what would you like to see it coming in, the new, in this next year? What would you like to do different with it um, to, to make it more appealing, to make it something that you would like? This is really great. Um, it's a good time as it is, but you always, always want to do things better. So, um, is that, so that's all of our announcements. Can I share something random before you share anything serious? Sure. Cool. Yes. Because I just, it's just something that's, 
I'm really excited to share. Okay, go right? for it. Right, so schadenfreude, right, is joy in someone else's pain. Schade is pain or bad luck. Freude is joy. This is German. Glück, Schmerz. Glück is happiness. Schmerz is pain. Happiness that somebody, somebody else's else is pain. Some, right, somebody right, else's right, pain. Yep. Freundenfreude is joy in someone else's happiness. Oh, that's great. So. Freudenfreude. Yeah. Freuden is friends or friend. And, and that's great. Fre Freude. You know, yeah. Joy and joy. Yeah. So I just wanted to share that because we have those negatives, but how much happier are you when so, I was at a lacrosse game and the other team scored and they were getting obliterated and I was so happy for them because they scored yeah. and it felt good yeah. as opposed to <laughs> you're losing, you know, there's right. um, something about that. So I don't know, find a reason to be joyful and happy for somebody else's good fortune. I just wanted to share that. Thanks for that out of left field thought, but yeah. it was a good one. It was a German lesson. Glückschmerz, which is so much fun to say. Every time Freud I hear that, I think of Doofenshmirtz from Phineas and Ferb. Yes. Yeah. Which, anyway. How about serious for a moment? Um, so we are going to be talking over the next probably three weeks about what has Jesus accomplished on the cross before I get into a much larger series after that. Um, and I mean, we could talk about this for a year, um, but I'm going to try and break it up into three things. And today I'm going to just talk about how Jesus has removed guilt and shame. It's, and both of those things are something we all, to one degree or another, one of, the, one of them we struggle with. It's very common, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, um, it's something that we need to remind ourselves about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so we're going to be talking about that today, and uh, I'm excited about it because it's, it's so freeing and such a joyful thought that Jesus has removed your guilt and your shame. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the day and for your love for us in Jesus. Thank you for that you have seated us in the heavenly realms with you, that we have, um, that we get to co-rule with you, that we are, that we are clean, we are dressed in your righteousness, that we are, um, we are adopted into your family, we are royal priests before you, and I thank you for that. It is absolutely, utterly undeserved and that's why we say thanks. That's why we praise you. Because of the exceedingly lavish grace that you've given us in Jesus. And uh, thank you. Be praised as we, uh, as we come into worship today and we, we hear your voice. I pray that, that all of us would be able to, whether it's online or it's here, to set aside all the stuff that's going on in our heads, all the stuff that's happening in our world. Um, or at least, Lord, take it and put it before, your, before you. In fact, that's what I would like, like, like to encourage all of us at this moment to just, if there is something that's weighing on your mind, just take it in this moment and say, Jesus, I would like you to just hold on to this for this time. Minister to me maybe in this issue that, that, that I'm, that's weighing on my heart. Father, I pray that uh, we are joy bringers, that we seek opportunities to bring 
joy into other people's lives and through that, that they would desire to be close enough to us to develop that relationship that we are modeling who you are and that they would long to be closer to you through that. That's just on my heart this morning, Lord, that we would bring joy to people. And we would express our joy this morning in worship that somehow we can kind of lay aside those things that we're not forgetting, we're not ignoring, but that we're setting aside those things that are separating us from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Go ahead and take a seat, and then we'll get to our message. Father, I long, I long desperately for the people who feel hurt, whether people, blunt, Lord, people who feel hurt by the church, who feel betrayed by the church, Lord, that they would hear the invitation and, and respond and that we, the church, would find a way to help with that healing and not to cause more pain, Lord. I think about the people in my life who reject you out of their pain. And I'm sorry for their pain. Lord, that we would help people heal so they would know you, Lord. As this song, that they would hear you call your bride would return to you. Lord Jesus, I ask that in, in, in an echo to Joe's prayer that uh, you would use this to heal people today. Um, that they would, it, mm, I, I do ask for the miracle of being set free from guilt and shame but at the minimum, Lord, may this be a, a step in the direction of healing. Um, help. Help me, help us. By your, it's going to have to be by your spirit. Be honored, Jesus, as we, as we come here. And may, may I speak your words. The things I have to say, may they be from you. Things that are not, may I just forget about saying them or they're not remembered. But the things that are, may they be a burning, cleaning fire. In your name I pray, amen. Actually, Joe, your, your prayer is great, but it's actually more about next week. No, it's great. Because it, it, it says something that, that it helps, even as I was thinking about this, this sermon, even, just, even right before this, I was thinking about the applications of this. And it is also healing. Um, we're talking about the how Jesus has, you know, the effects of sin being removed. Um, and there were three, and I almost put the third one into this sermon, but there's, it's just too much. Um, the three were... Um, 
the two we're going to deal with this is guilt and shame. And then the third one is afflicted. Um, dealing with things like sickness and um, just decay. And, and, and that's, first of all, it was too much for this topic. Plus, that's something that needs to be dealt with with care and nuance because you could easily misunderstand me. So I'm going to deal with that one all by itself, I think. Um, this week this week alone, it's... it's um, it's just those two. Now, I want to say is in this whole series, um, in the first part one, part A, um, is going to be about the removal of the effects of sin. And then, then the, the following one is going to be the consequences of us being righteous before God. What does that mean that we are his, um, that we are clothed in God's righteousness? And that's, I'm going to touch on that today, but there's a lot there to unpack. And I don't have time to do all of that at once. But I do want to say that, that of all of this, you, you, even though I'm parsing them out and dividing them up, and it might seem neat, you really can't do that. So I urge you, as I'm going through these couple of series, couple of weeks, is that you, you listen to them as a whole. Because you can't, the effects of righteousness, it all has to do with forgiveness. And adoption has to do with, with it, it, it all comes together. And so... I say that as a little bit of a caveat. Now, like I said, this week we're just going to deal with, with the removal of sin. And I could just simply say, as, as a general statement, what Paul says in, first, in, second, in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Um, and that is an, it's a true statement, but the thing we have to remember when it, when it talks about death in the Bible, particularly when it's talked about in a theological kind of sense as Paul is doing here, it's more than just physical death that's being talked about. There's a much larger idea involved here. And, and so, some, in fact, in fact, much of what I'm talking about has to do with death. It's just another way of talking about it. Um, because physical death is both a reality, but it is also a metaphor for spiritual death. Today, let's just talk about these two. I'm trying to keep this simple. Now, guilt is what we're going to deal with first. Guilt is simple. Um, it just means it's this: it's what you feel when you recognize I have done something wrong. I have done wrong. I have done wrong. It's an action. It's based on something actual that I've done. Now, sometimes it can be misplaced. Sometimes we feel guilt over stuff that we shouldn't feel guilty over, but it's about an action. Now, shame in general is about that I am bad. It's not that it's not that it's not that I, it's not really associated with a particular action, although an action can trigger it. It's 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 a it's an evaluation of you as a person. I am bad. And like I said, both of these can be misplaced. We can have shame over the over correct things, and we can have shame over the wrong things. We can feel guilty about the right things, and we can be guilty about we can feel guilty about things there's no we have no business of feeling guilty over. Um, what I'm going to be dealing with, and I'll help walk us through some of the some of the times. I don't. I'm not going to give you a lot of specific examples of each of them, but just understand. It's just a caveat. Sometimes both of those things can be misplaced. And one of the things I want to talk about with this, and I'm so glad you brought that up, Joe, because it, that's what I was thinking about before, is both of these things, 
we as a culture, both as an American culture, and, and, but frankly human culture, and the, and the church as well, we are really, really good at shaming people. We are really good at using guilt giving people guilt trips to get them to do, to do what we want. Really good at making people feel bad about themselves because of something, right? And it, it starts young. I mean, half of what middle schoolers are going through is shaming them because they don't have the right shoes or they don't wear the right clothes or, they're, or they have a pimple. Or it's, that's a sh- it's, it's all about shame, and they're so good at this. And we're so good also with a third one of just using fear to motivate people. And we do this. We do this a lot. And the church does this. And it has hurt a lot of people. And we have to think carefully about this. And some of us have been deeply damaged by this. And I want to talk about that. Now, how the world generally deals with it is is by either... Approval, denial, or minimizing. And what I mean by approval is they'll say things that you feel guilty about, now that's not actually guilty. That's not actually a bad thing. I saw, I saw an ad the other day. I've seen it before. But the whole point of the ad was, was impatience is not a virtue. Okay, patience is not a virtue. That's it. Patience is not a virtue. Go for it. It's like, yeah, it is a virtue. But you see, they're, they're, they're literally promoting what something the Bible literally says is wrong. We need to be patient. But there's this promotion like, no, no, no. Pay, imp, you want to be impatient. You want to go for it. And I get what they're trying to get at. But at the same time, they're literally saying what you feel guilty about. No, no, you shouldn't feel guilty about that. You should feel good about that. They deny it. They literally give approval for for bad actions, or they just simply deny that, that, you know, shame and guilt, it's all in your head. It's merely a psychological thing. Now, there is psychological pieces to it, but as I'm going to argue, there's also an objective piece to it. And finally, just kind of minimize it. Yeah, just pretend it's not there. These are the kinds of things that the world uses to deal with it. Sometimes they, they deal with guilt and shame by they, they medicate it through drugs, through, 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 um, through recreational activities, distractions. There's lots of ways to deal with it. And this is not to say that, that, that counseling is not a good thing for some of this stuff. Absolutely. If you're deeply, deeply dealing with shame... I encourage you to go with that and, and get one that will come at it with some of the things that I'm talking about today on how God has deal, dealt with our shame. Because um, God's solution is different than all of those. He doesn't deny the reality of them. There is real. Now, as I said, sometimes it's misplaced. But he provides a fix that's actually real, that's objective. And that's where Jesus comes in. Guilty. Simple. This, one's one, this is one we get pretty easily. You know, it's, it's, it's more than just a feeling. It is a feeling, but it's more than that. 
It's this sense of knowing I've done, I've broken God's law. Now, and I keep saying this because I want to make it clear. Sometimes we feel guilty for not doing something that's breaking God's law for lots of reasons. But I'm talking about today with this, when you feel guilty for doing something that God has clearly said, this is not right, and you have a sense of guilt. And we can see that in Scripture. It's pretty straightforward, Romans 1.32. Um, they, talking about humanity as a whole, talking about humanity um, in its sinful outside of Jesus' state, says they, humanity, knows that God's justice requires those who do these things, and he's been listing sins, deserve to die. There is a punishment that should go with doing wrong. And here, by the way, here you can see the, the minimization and yet they do them anyway, worse than that, they encourage or, or give approval for them. That's how, that's how the world minimizes sin, is they say that's not really sin. Okay? But this started all the way back in the garden. It's very fundamental to the story of the Bible. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden and tend to watch over it. And the Lord warned him, you may be from all the tree of the garden, right? Except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you do this, you will die. If you disobey, there is a punishment, period. It's really simple. Guilt produces punishment. And this is something that's affected all humanity. As I've said many times, I'll keep saying I'm no different than anybody else. You know, the whole Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. We've all done this. And this is the word, even though Genesis doesn't use the word sin, that's the word. That's the, that's this, this idea of sin is the idea of guilt. That I've done, I'm guilty because I've done wrong. Okay? It's the knowing that I've broken God's law. That's guilt. Now, shame, as I've said, is different. Shame is I am wrong. The sense that I am bad, that I am worthless, that somehow I'm corrupted. It's very common in Scripture. It's all over the place if you start looking for it. It's also very common in people. And it's also interestingly, um, as I'm going to talk a little bit more in a moment, um, there, there are cultures that that is their paradigm we live in a culture that's about um, guilt. We are a guilt culture. A little bit of fear. But other places like Japan, it is a shame-honor culture. They don't deal so much in guilt, they deal with shame. I think about the movie Mulan. Shame on your cow. Shame on your family. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, oh yeah! They was like, shame on you. Because, that's, because they are a shame culture. We are a guilt culture, so we need to think a little bit more about this. But in Scripture, it's connected to these two ideas of nakedness and hiding. And we can see that right here after they ate the, 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 the apple or the fruit. It wasn't necessarily an apple. Then they were both their eyes, Adam and Eve's eyes were open, and they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loyal. They tried to cover themselves because they because there was shame involved. And this is in contrast to what to right before this, and the before they ate, in which the man and the wife were both naked, but there was no shame because they hadn't sinned yet. So after this, throughout the rest of the scripture, nakedness 
is, is, a, is a metaphor for shameful act, for actions and being ashamed. And I, and I could, I, I, put, I had some verses in there. I don't think it's helpful. I think you got the idea. Um, now, what I want to talk about here is that this is more than just a feeling. There is certainly feelings involved, and I'm going to keep saying it, and there are things to be shamed about and things that are not. Paul, for example, uses, um, I am not ashamed of the gospel. People were ashamed of talking about Jesus, and this is a misplaced shame. And there are things that we get ashamed about that we have no business being shamed over. But biblically, it's this sense of a loss of dignity, a loss of status and significance, which is what we're seeing there in the Garden of Eden. It's this sense of a loss of glory. We had status. We had this righteousness. We had this position of significance, um, and, and we've lost it. This is what they're feeling. Now, there was, I, I ran across a quote um, from a Christian psychologist who had been dealing with people for, with shame for over 50 years, and this is, this is what he said. He said, theological shame is, the, is, is removed by our re, um, adoption and rebirth. And I'm going to unpack that more. I think there's better words to use there, but he, it's the same idea. Theologically, shame is a loss of identity, of inheritance. It's this, we've lost our status as being the caretakers of the garden. And psychologically, he continues, is the remnant of our past loss. There's an objective reality, but it's also feelings and negative thought patterns about our lives and who we are. And some of that's just stuff we've been piled on us by people. Speaking of a, uh, and I'm going to say this quote more than once, this is by a person who's from Japan, Christian, and, and she says this, Westerners, us, perceive shame as merely a subjective feeling, a voice in our heads that we need to just silence. But in honor-shame cultures, it's, it's, it's seen as a, an objective outside of us. It's not something that I just think about. It's actually a reality. That's what objective means. It's a status. It's a status. And I think that's far closer to the biblical idea than our general Western American culture. Which is why in the garden, they lost their status. They, they, they forfeited it to Satan. They gave him control and they have been corrupted. They lost their dignity. And there's a reality to that. This is not hypothetical. It's not merely feelings. And I'm wondering if sometimes when we feel our shame... Some of that, I think, is just this, sin, this basic idea of our deep in our psychi- psychi- uh, subconscious that we really aren't right as a human race. Now, she continues with this, nothing I can do can remove my own shame. Think about that in terms of the gospel as we're going to unpack. In an honor-shame culture like Japan, you cannot remove your own shame. What can do it? It requires someone of a highly honorable status to dine or, sub, or, or, or be gracious to me, to be seen with me, to visit my home, and to publicly say something nice to me. Now, some of you who know the gospel well, you can start thinking about what that means, can't you? Right? I'll unpack that a minute ago. But look at this, but back to the scripture. 
This was our original status. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. God blessed them, which is also a, 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 a privileged and honor status, being blessed by God, who, of course, is of the highest honor. And he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the whole earth and, dis- and, and, and subdue it and have dominion over everything. We were of the highest status in all of the physical realm. Of all, of all of God's creation, we were at the top and we were meant to be rulers in God's vice regions, taking care of everything. We were at the top. This is who we are. That's status. That's privilege being in the image of God, being able to represent Him to creation. And this is what we have lost. This is what sin did in the garden. And this is why we, we feel like we're wrong. We are wrong. There is a sense of we are, which we are wrong. Again, we feel shame about things we shouldn't. But there is an objective reality to it too. It's the sense that we are worthless. It's a sense that we're, we're somehow corrupted. We've lost our significance. And it's connected with, being, with hiding. We hide ourselves. Because we don't want, we don't want that... that that exposed. It's a loss of glory, value, significance. And so guilt and shame, are, these, are the, uh, these are the effects. And it's all, both of those are out throughout Scripture. You feel guilt. We have, we have literal guilt before God. We have shame because we are not what we're supposed to be. Both can be mixed place, but both of them are real. But... Jesus removes them. He removes both of them. Sin, guilt. First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I write to you these things so you don't sin. We don't, we don't want to sin as Christians. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Someone who's, who's pleading our case before the Father. Jesus Christ, the, the righteous one. The one who has status. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, for some of us, we don't know what that word means. But it is a word you should learn if you don't know what it is. It's the word that's used to describe the removal of anger, the removal of punishment. Jesus removes God's wrath from us. Going back to the, to the, to the guilt, Genesis chapter 2, the wages of sin is death, we deserve to die for our sins, to be punished. One of the things the cross has done is Jesus takes the punishment for us. And so the, the, the justice that we deserve is removed. It's placed on the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus has removed your guilt by paying for it, paying the price for our wrongdoing. So you are forgiven. You're forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7. In Jesus, in him, we have redemption. Through, the, through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, our trespasses, our, our breaking of the law, according to the riches of his grace. You are forgiven. I know you feel guilty for your sins. I know you feel guilty for the things you've done past. 
Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Oh, thank God for that, right? Nor repay us according to our iniquities, our corruptions. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Your guilt is removed. So therefore, there is now no condemnation for you who are in Jesus. You are forgiven. The punishment is paid. And it's paid to the one who's wronged. And I want to talk for a moment about that. There's a common phrase, and it's a good phrase, but I think, it's, I, think, I think we need to think about it slightly different. It's this, like, you need to forgive yourself. Um, the problem with that, I mean, the, it, the problem with that is that you are not the one that needs to, you, you can't forgive yourself because forgiveness needs to be given by the one that's been wronged. And you didn't wrong yourself, you wronged God. You need to receive God's forgiveness. Because forgiveness is the removal of the debt. Right? Who did you, whose law did you break? Not yours. You broke his. So I think what, th what we're meaning by that really is you need to receive the forgiveness and not stand as your own judge. Paul says, I do not judge myself. There's only one judge, and that's not us. It's him, and he has forgiven you. So receive that forgiveness. And stop punishing yourself, okay? We're really good at that. I'm good at that. I've done something wrong, and I don't feel better about it until I've had a significant, an appropriate amount in my own mind of beating myself up until I feel like I've done enough beating myself up until I'm, okay, now I, I can feel good again. But that's putting yourself in the place of Jesus. You know, Jesus already got beaten up enough for that sin. You don't need to add more to it. So stop it. Next, Jesus has removed your shame. That we are righteous. And this is, and, and, and we can see this in lots of different places. One of them here is Isaiah 61. You know, instead of shame and dishonor, um, his people will enjoy a double share of, of honor. And not, instead of our shame, we're going to have honor. And not just honor, double honor. Exceeding honor. And he continues on a couple verses later. I am, this is, this, is a, this is God's people responding to this. I am overwhelmed with joy. By the way, that's the response of all this is joy. Why? Because he has dressed me in clothings of salvation. He has draped with me in the robe of righteousness. Remember, shame is associated with nakedness. But we have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus that covers our shame. You, your shame has been covered because you're in Jesus. As he puts here in first, second Corinthians, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, 
perfectly righteous, perfectly did everything right, to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. You're righteous. Jesus puts it in, this, in his prayer at the end of his life like this. The glory that God, you, God the Father, you gave me, I have given to them. That's status. It's being like him. You have glory again, not shame. You have honor. We are clothed in his righteousness. We have his honor. Your shame has been removed. Now, if you remember, I, I, going back to that, that, that quote, in shame honor society, how do you remove shame? You can't do it yourself. That's right. That's the gospel, isn't it? You can't fix it. You need somebody else to fix you. And that someone is Jesus. And in, the, in that shame and honor society, how, how, how do you get it back? By someone of higher honor associating with you, taking you into your, his home, and publicly saying something good about you. Can you hear the gospel in that? That Jesus came to be among us. And he calls us brothers. Hebrews 2, the one who sanctifies you, removing your shame, calling, making you holy, and those who are sanctified have one Father. You are adopted. You are now back in the original position of being a child of the living God. And he is not ashamed to call you and I brothers. He's not afraid to call you family. Remember who Jesus is. He's the one of the highest honor. For God the Father has exalted Jesus to give him a name above every name. There is no one of greater status than Jesus Christ in all of existence. He is God in the flesh. And that name, that one, scriptures say anyone who trusts in him will not be disgraced or shamed. I think, and let me think, let me say with this one, Revelation 3, to those who are, who are victorious, who hold on to their faith, walking with Jesus to the end of their lives, will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, and I will announce before my Father and all his angels, talk about public, they're mine. There will come a day that you will stand before the Father and all of creation and Jesus will say, this one, he's mine. That's honor. If you were walking down the street today, even if it's a much lower level, Jesus would say, Brian's with me. I know what you've done. Yes, 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 yes. That's between us. I got it. But publicly, he honors you because you honor him. Your shame, Jesus has removed your guilt. 
He has removed your shame. He is of the highest status, having forgiven your sins, adopted you into your family, given you his righteousness. You belong to him, and you have no more appropriate shame left. He has removed that. He has washed you clean in the blood of the Lamb. You belong to Him. Stop, stop, stop beating yourself up. Stop believing the lie that you are not in Jesus and given all the honor, all the honor of, of ruling with Him, seated in the heavenly realms with Him. It's true. Oh, yeah, yeah, your own. You've had a lot of people in your life telling you how horrible you are and you're, 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 you're not good enough. You're bad. Right, yes, I know. We're really good at shaming each other. And some of that Satan. Satan's shamed you because, yep, he's right. You are a sinner. Yep, you're right. You're, you're, you're not acting like you should be as a ruler of the, of, uh, of the, of the universe. That's true. But in Jesus... In him I am clothed. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help me to have communicated well. Lord, I pray for, for your blessing upon each of us as we think about the, the fact that you removed our guilt and our shame. Lord, we want to honor you. We want to lift your name high. We want to praise you. We want to live in a life that, 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 that obeys you. We want to be the people that you've called us to be, to be these royal priests who, who intercede for you and who are, 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 are the caretakers of your creation, and we long for those days that that's going to be. But until then, Lord, help us to reject the lies we have been told. To trust you that we might praise you and live the free, in the freedom that you have bought us. In Jesus' name. We're going to do some more worshiping, so stand as you're able or just adopt a... He picked this song. Of who is, who is saying that he's that you are his? The great I am. Um, I was thinking about how that Brian's message may be difficult for some people to receive. Um, I'm really fortunate. I didn't grow up in a household where shame was used. I grew in a household where it was affirming. There was criticism, right? There were things that we had to kind of navigate in that, but it was never identifying you as a failure, as a loser, as someone who has screwed up so badly that you're beyond retribution. The thing is, is that some of you have grown up 
like that. Some of you have are, are living a life where everything is processed through shame, and it's the dialogue that you know, it's the language that you know better than any other. And so when you hear something that says you don't have to feel that anymore, there's a part of you that's really strong that says, oh, no, but you do. You very much do because that's, that's just your language. So when we're singing love is a hammer, there's a line in here. I've worn these chains for so long that they feel natural. And it doesn't feel right to be released from those because it's, it's who you think that you are or who you've been told that you are. And I really pray that you, that God changes you and that you can hear words of love and not reject them because they feel false because you've never heard them before. I just pray that you're free of that. Let's sing together. I just want to acknowledge the courage of you right now, wherever you are, who are pondering, can I let the shame go? Because it takes an enormous courage when, when your internal dialogue is, just flows into give up, you're a screw up, forget about it, you're not worth it. It's just more comfortable to be where I am. Be uncomfortable and be loved. Mm. Um, two, two quick thoughts before we go to the communion. One is, I've been thinking about, well, what should we be ashamed about? Because there is something, but I'm saving that for the podcast. So oh. check us out on Thursday because we're having to change. Yeah, we switch nights because of lacrosse because lacrosse is above the podcast. Nothing else. So. No, and it's... <laughs> no. Podcast could move. Lacrosse couldn't. No, they have sticks. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll talk about that on the podcast. Um, to, did you hear the language of status in that love is a hammer? In those stories that Jesus publicly recognizes people, wants to go with them, be seen with them. He could have just healed that woman. He could have just forgiven Zacchaeus, but no, 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 no. He wanted to give them the honor to re remove the shame. Hmm. We come to the table. And here we remember that Jesus despised the shame the shame of being publicly naked, of being abused and, 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 and taunted, the shame of the cross. And it was meant to be shameful. That was, the, that was a big part of the point of, of the Romans' use of it, was to, to shame the, the person doing it so that people wouldn't do, it, do whatever that person did. Jesus took on shame so that you would not have it. Took on sin the punishment, so that you would not have it. The world tries to minimize your shame, guilt and shame, tries to tuck it under the rug or 
or actually dismiss it through approval or denial. Or, but we're coming to the table here and saying, no, there's, real, there's a reality here. But as you come to the table, let this be a moment where you are publicly recognizing Jesus. That's what you're doing when you come here. This is one of the reasons why we do this. I want this to be an act of faith. For you to publicly say, yes, today I believe in Jesus. And Jesus said that if you publicly profess me, I will profess you before my Father. That is why you need to profess your faith to people. That's why you need to not be ashamed of Jesus. That's why we started with the song, I will become undignified, because it's not about what the world thinks is shameful. It's, will you worship Jesus no matter what the world says? So come to the table and remind yourself, I believe in Jesus today. And remind yourself that it is his blood and it is his body his righteousness that is forgiveness and his righteousness that is the cloak that you are wearing. And that is why your shame is removed. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he says, this is my body given. My perfect life of perfectly being, the right, being what Adam was always supposed to be obedient, honoring, glorifying the Father, representing Him to the world. And He went to the cross. And there He was crushed for our iniquities. He was bruised for our transgressions. All that shame, all that guilt was laid on Jesus. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup of the new, new agreement between God and man and said, this is, the, this, is, this is the agreement. I've paid for it. This is yours. We are, we, are, we are unified together. My honor will be your honor. Your shame will be my shame. Your sin will be my shin, shame. Sin, your right, my righteousness will be yours. Come, I will make you clean. Jesus, as we come to the table, help us to reject lies, set us free, give us the joy that you, that you enjoy, that you have right now, that you have over us. Help us to see you, see ourselves the way you see us. As one day we will fully experience in the new heavens and the new earth right next to you, the one who is above all other names. Thank you. Come, take the elements, and then we'll share them together as an act of that we are all in this together. We all equally need Jesus, and one day we will all share in that glory together. As we sing a song, <laughs> 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak and he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. Tells me so. Jesus loves me, who, who died. Heaven's gates to open wide. He will wash away my sin. Let it look, I'll come in. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, the Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Such a simple song. Something a child would sing, right? But sometimes we need to be reparented by God to remind ourselves that our Father loves us the body and blood of Christ given for you. May the Lord bless you today. May he give you the peace of knowing what he has removed from you, your sin, your guilt, your shame. May you hear his voice. God bless. We'll see you next week.